My name's Kent Anderson. This is my wife, Judy. We are a part of Convoy of Hope. In particular, we're part of Rural Compassion, which is the rural uh, uh, ministry of Convoy. We've been with uh, Convoy now about three years. Rural Compassion has been in existence nearly 12, and Judy and I have been with Rural Compassion for nearly 11, and we senior pastored for uh, an associate for about 27 years before we were a part of Rural Compassion. Junie and I started pastoring when we were 13. Just if you're trying to figure out our age, that's kind of the, the way it was. We started very young and, uh, and we're very young at heart, obviously. Um, but one of the, the, kind of our theme here, and what I'm going to do is just give us kind of an, an overview of what we are about. And then last fall, we did a training with, I think there was between 20 and 25 rural pastors and their spouses. Um, in New Philadelphia, Ohio, and so what we're looking towards is we're looking towards 2017 and doing another one of these full trainings, which a full training entails a Friday night, uh, Saturday experience, and then there's a lot of things to go with, and I'll explain that a little bit. So really, this is, this is somewhat, for some of you, this is uh, hopefully a little bit of a bait of a hook, so that it might interest you enough that you'll want to be a part of of the next training, and, and uh, John will be spearheading that, so he'll be the one that you'll want to uh, listen, be listening for as far as dates and where it's going to be. What our theme is, small towns, big possibilities. The bottom line is we really still believe that God wants to do big things in small towns, and if you're a part of a small town, that's got to be our heartbeat, that God has, wants to do plenty of things everywhere, but he still wants to work in small town America. I tell people this, Jesus was born in a small town and he grew up in a small town. I think he understands small town. So uh, that's always good to know. Here's our family, and I'm not going to do anything other than show you and then have you look right here. Let's see, there, there, and there. That's my grandkids, okay? Forget about everybody else. My, the, uh, the, the, the older girls are all mine. The guys are married in to the crew, so you can kind of get an idea of who we, we are anyway. Our threefold emphasis is we want to teach, train, and resource rural pastors and churches so they'll be more intentional and strategic in their outreach efforts. And uh, one of the things that I always like to say anyway, what happens inside the church wall is very important. You agree, right? God blesses on the inside, so we make a difference on the outside. So part of our mindset has to be we want to be healthy inside, but if we're healthy inside, it means then we're going to be doing something outside the four walls to reach our community. We also do disaster relief in rural areas, and we're also involved in poverty relief. I grew up in, in Nebraska, a very small town, but actually I didn't grow up in this town, but it, was, it wasn't far from me. About four or five years ago, my cousin went through where, where we lived. I haven't been back in a little while, but he said, you know, Montawai, Nebraska is only six people. I mean, that's pretty rural, right? And I said, no, I didn't realize that. And then about three years later, he went back by and he said, hey, it's down to two. And now if you drive by Monoway, this is what you're going to see, one. And it was a couple that lived in the town and the, her husband passed away. So if you can find a more rural town than that, let me know, okay? And the wild thing, I grew up in Boyd County. There's also a town called Gross, Nebraska, which is within 30 miles of where I grew up. So is Monoway. Their population sign reads two. You got a town of one and a town of two in the county I grew up in. So you can kind of get an idea of small town America. I grew up in Butte, Nebraska, population 520. I tell people this, and it's the truth. Graduated in a class of 20, and I graduated in the top 10 of my class. So you take that or leave it, okay? <laughs> 
But my, my rural ministry heritage is really second to none. This is my grandpa, Chester Anderson, there in the early 1900s. He was saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, literally, come on through. We don't close anybody out here. Whoa! Saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and literally within a, week, in a few weeks, he went from a dance band to a gospel band. This is his gospel band. This is the 1940s. You can't see the instrumentation there, but it got every instrument you can think of. I said it was a rock and roll band back in the 40s. But not only was he a musician, he was an evangelist, he was a pastor, he was a church planter, and he planted about eight churches in northern Nebraska and South Dakota, all very rural areas. He pastored beautiful gospel church for over 40 years. My uncle Vance took a church in Jameson, South Dakota. He pastored that church for over 40 years. My dad took a church in Ewing, Nebraska. He pastored that church for over 40 years. So I don't know too many people that have that kind of in their back pocket heritage-wise. My dad pastored this church, as I said, for over 40 years. When I was attending the church, it was just this building here, and it actually had an outhouse. We didn't have indoor plumbing in the church, okay? I'm not that old. I'm 59. But anyway, so do the math. And now, over the years, for about 30 years, the church averaged about 30 people. The last 10 years of his ministry there, they started going outside the four walls, started connecting in the community. Last five years he was pastoring there, they ran 180 in church in a town of 390. I say it's the greatest story never told in the AG. No towns of size close by. The bottom line, what I tell people, if you can grow a church in Ewing, Nebraska, I don't know where you are from right now, but you can grow a church anywhere, okay? No excuse if you can grow a church in Ewing, Nebraska. And this is what we're part of is these trainings, bringing 20, 25 rural pastors together, their spouse. It involves a banquet. It involves a lot of teaching. It involves actually a shopping spree for the rural pastors and his wife. Uh, Convoy has a uh, partnership with Men's Warehouse, and uh, brand new $500 suits are brought to the to the training, every pastor will walk away with that. There's things for the ladies, for the kids. It's really a cool thing. And then on top of all that, then, I tell people, even if I can't teach my way out of a paper bag, just coming for this is good enough, okay? But there's usually, I don't have a picture of that, but there's a, a semi that'll show up, too, at the training. I have 28, 29 loads, uh, pallet loads of product that we'll bring, we'll give to the pastors that are in attendance so you have something in your hands to go home and do some outreach with. So we want to also, as I mentioned before, do that on the resourcing side. And here you'll, you'll see how deep my theology is. If you've never seen this one, this is classic. Calpi theology. Have you ever heard of this one before? P Church people are like manure, spread them out, and they help everything grow better, pile them up, and they stink things up. There's real truth to that. And when we pile up inside the church, we usually stink it up pretty well. But when we scatter... There's something about not thinking about ourselves and thinking about other people. It really does make a difference. So we, in, uh, how, okay, how many, any of you here in a town of under 2,000? Okay, anybody else, just one? Okay, we're going to do, you, you receive a, a, a prize. You want to know what it is? You want the prize? You're under a town of 1,000? Huh? Are you under the town of 1,000? No, no. No. Okay, anybody lower than 2,000 here in the town? Okay. I don't know. Man, I've never had nobody ever act like they didn't want. But here it is. It's a candy cow pie. Come on, huh? Huh? 
Man, I think I scared you to death. I'm sorry about that. You know, the way, maybe I didn't explain my... I th- I, we weren't going to take you out and beat you up or anything. That's, that's something that'll... And now, and now everybody else gets a consolation prize, okay? We got a couple of bags. And, it, and it's rural too. Take one and pass it around. It's, it's cowtail. You can't get any more rural than that. Huh? Everybody gets a cowtail. How about that? In our trainings, we use this verse, and probably will continue to do so, because I like it for one thing, but John 21, 6, throw out your net and see what happens. And we know the storyline there, but I think of outreach as that. I think of it as taking the net, anything that we do, offering ministry, the cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Anytime we do outreach, it's as though we're throwing out the net. And the point of this is, we're going to throw out the net We are responsible for contact, not conversion. But we are responsible for contact. So every church needs to be making contact outside the four walls of the church. In essence, that's throwing out the net. John, or Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to what? Be served, but what? To serve, okay. So here's our thought on this. If we're really going to be effective in our community as far as outreach is concerned, then the smartest thing to do would be doing it the Jesus way, right? And the Jesus way was this. He served his way into the lives of people, and story after story, it opened up the opportunity for him to share his way in. And we've really found this very, very effective, and again, it's because... Jesus did it, so it makes sense we ought to pattern ourselves after Jesus in that way. If we can serve our way into our community, it's going to give opportunity not only for us as leaders, but our congregation, if they do that too, it opens up the door for us to be able to share our way in. And uh, one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is simply this, how well are we as a fellowship, the Assemblies of God, how well are we doing throwing out the net? I've got one stat here that kind of speaks for itself, but this is from headquarters. 53% of our AG churches have either plateaued or are in decline. That says to me then, over half of our churches aren't doing a, just what I'd call an A-plus job of throwing out the net. If over half of our churches are either treading water or in decline. Now it's 80% in other denominations, but before we pat ourselves on the back, it's like we are the healthiest patient in the ICU ward. Follow me on this? And uh, here's just a couple other stats that I thought was interesting. This uh, was 9 out of 10 churches in America are either declining or growing at a pace more slowly than the growth of their communities. Simply stated, 90% of U.S. churches are losing ground in their communities. That's, it was another stat there. I just thought it was kind of interesting. And then the last one uh, came from Steve Pike, who was in charge of church uh, multiplication. But I just thought this, 60% of church members believe that the primary purpose of the church is to provide fellowship for one another rather than to reach out to those who are unchurched. If that's even close to true, that means two-thirds of churchgoers in America think the church is there for fellowship, which church is there for fellowship, but our primary purpose is right here. Last time I checked, right? And so our primary purpose is, are we throwing out the net? Another, uh, just I think it's a great question that we ask ourselves, it's taken from the externally focused church, a book, Uh, that we've given out thousands of these over the years. But the question, how big is my church, should be replaced with, how big is the impact our church is making in our community? And I think we got to ask ourselves, what kind of influence, what kind of impact are we making in our community? Or maybe we could even ask this, does the community, one, even know we're there? And what do they think of your church as? Oh, I know your church, yours the church is, yours 
You are the church that does what? In the same book, it said if a, a, a storm blew through your town and wiped your church off the face of the map, one, would, pe- would people even know it was there in the first place? Or two, the other side might be, would they weep because they lost that church who was so valuable and health to the community? It's probably a good question for us, to, again, to think about. Now, in the trainings that we do, we have four target areas that we talk about, and the training's about five hours long, and you know we've got uh, 50 minutes here, so we're not going to go into anything too in-depth, but I think it'll give you an overall picture of what, we're, what we talk about. We talk about, I'll just go to the next one, but we talk about assessing needs in our community. We talk about developing relationships Certainly inside the church is important, but we're talking about developing relationships outside your four walls with stakeholders. In particular, we talk about becoming the best friend of your school. And then uh, fourthly, we talk about community involvement. Um, And you'll get a notebook and a book bundle and different things along like that at the training. But one of the things we say is we need to understand and know what the need, what the needs are in our community. Not think we know, but we actually need to do some research and some assessing so we understand what the needs are. And one of the websites that I think is pretty cool, because it's for rural, it's epodunk.com. I mean, that sounds rural, right? I mean, it's really geared for rural communities. You can go to this website, to their search engine, put the name of your community in, and it just brings up all kinds of information about your community, about your county. I always say it this way, everybody should know, every pastor should know what your free and reduced lunch program is as far as percentage in your town. You should know that, and part of the reason you should know that, it'll give you a pretty good idea of where your community is at as far as just the uh, income level and the needs that are there. Because if it's very high, then there's a lot of underlying issues in your community that you probably need to address. This is another great um, website. It's T-H-E-A-R-D-A, but it gives you church stats of your county. It'll tell you how many Lutherans, Baptists, Assembly of God, Catholics. It'll even tell you how many unchurched people you have in your county. It's really a a cool um, website to go to because, again, it'll give you an understanding of your community. And, And here's what I've come to find out is that oftentimes we as rural, especially rural pastors and church, we know the external map of our community, the streets, but sometimes we don't know the internal map of what really is makes our community tick and what's going on in our community. We work with a church in Attica, Indiana, and they did some of this assessment, and they did some other things to find out where their town was and the need in their town. But this is what Pastor Ben found out. It was a town of 2,500 people. That 80% of the town was not attending church. In a rural town of 2,500, you don't think that's still a mission field? And you've got to see that. You've got to see your community as a mission field. And probably in most cases, as rural pastors, you're not only pastoring your church, you're pastoring your community, and you might even be pastoring your county. That's really how you have to see this. It's, it's beyond just the church, even though you need to be pastoring your church, but you've got to see you as the pastor of the community. Um, a church in Arizona, I'll tell this story quickly, but church in Arizona, one of the things we talk about, put a team together. If you've got people in your church that really have a heart for outreach, man, get those people together. Let them dream and pray, and certainly you'd be a part of that, or leadership people be a part of that. Um, but they got together, and they did this assessment, and they found out in their community this storyline. They found they had a very high rate of single parents 
in their community, much higher than the national average. They also realized nobody in the community was addressing that need. And I, I tell people this, and I, I take a little bit more time than this, but I'll, I'll just throw the, this out. If in your town the Methodist church has a great food pantry going, don't start a food pantry. Hello? I mean, if they got a great food pantry going, then why, why don't we send a couple people over there to help them? Because the bottom line is we're not in competition here. And there isn't a community alive that doesn't have needs that are under the radar that nobody's addressing. Okay, that was a little bunny trail, but it's still, it's still pretty good. I'm going to pat myself on the back on that one. Okay, that was a joke, okay? Um, and so they do the single parent deal. They decide this. They decide let's do something for single parents. The bottom line is they decide let's throw out the net towards single parents. Okay, make the contact. God's going to take care of the conversion. Uh, side of things. And they did the best they could. They had zero in their budget for marketing, so they used social media. They did do a couple little um, posters where they put up around the town about the single parent. About a week out, the pastor calls me and, and he tells me, they said, Ken, I don't even know if anybody's going to show up. But he said, we've had such a great time putting this together. It's been worth it just as a church to work together on a project like this. That Sunday came, and the church was very small. But anyway, when, they, when it came, uh, there was 15 single moms and their kids showed up. It more than tripled the size of their church that day anyway. And then they had a makeover for the ladies, and they washed the car and changed the oil, had special kids ministry for the kids. At the end of that service, the pastor gave an altar call, and seven of those single moms came forward and gave their heart to the Lord. I mean, isn't that cool? All because this church decided, let's just throw out the net and see what happens. And here's the bottom line. If we aren't throwing out the net, nothing will happen. Why in the world should anybody come to our church if we're not doing anything outside the four walls? Why would, what attraction would there be? And so we've got to think this through. How are we baiting the hook to attract fish? What are we doing to attract fish? And uh, one thing about Jesus I think if you look at his ministry, it is very clear. He, he looked outside of the synagogue and the church house. He was always share, throwing out the net outside of those. He did beach ministry, right? He did boat ministry, right? He did cemetery ministry. Man, he even did tree ministry. Huh? He went after Zacchaeus, up a tree. I mean, so we got to think that way. How are we, again, how are we like Christ when it comes to... Uh, what we do, I, I think I'll skip that for now. Let's, let's go into the next one. The other one is building the relationships, community stakeholders. How have we engaged outside the four walls of our church in building relationships with others? If we aren't careful, the only people we mingle with are people like us. I mean, we can be, as pastors in particular, I know I'm not speaking all to pastors, but even as church leaders, if we're not careful... After a while, the only friends we have are Christians. We don't even have, in fact, I can tell you this story and I'll tell it quick, but I was dealing with, an a, this was an AG pastor and he told me this because we were talking about building relationships and, and part of those relationships are building with people that aren't church people, non-Christians. And he said this, he, had been, he said, I've been in the ministry 45 years and he said, I've never had a non-Christian friend and secondly, I'm not planning on having one. Their church ran 15. I can't even believe 15 showed up to that. You follow me on this? There's got to be a development of relationships. So how can we make connections with stake? I put the mayor up there, but every town has stakeholders. And it could be somebody like, uh, well, I don't have that up here. Maybe I got it on my neck. Yeah, I do. 
um, on my next slide. The uh, Kingman, Kansas came to a training and uh, they went back, put a team together, started praying together, and they really felt like the football coach was one of the main stakeholders in town, mainly because their football team had been good a couple of years in a row, won a state championship. And the bottom line is, Pastor Brian said, man, he said that the football coach was God in town. So they decided, let's, let's do this. Let's throw out the net towards the football coach. So they engaged with the football coach, and then they did some things for the football teams, a couple acts of kindness. And after six months of just, again, kind of focusing in on this stakeholder, the football coach, out of the blue, the football coach said to Brian, Pastor Brian, you want to be the chaplain of our football team? And Brian said, that wasn't even in the back of my mind. But here's the bottom line. When we step out in faith, God starts opening doors that we just can't, we can't comprehend. But God opens doors as we cast the net. I'd say it this way, it's, it's our move first, then it's God's move. And I, I like to use the verse, draw nigh to God and what? He draws nigh to us. You can see throughout Scripture, it's usually we human beings, we make the first step and then God comes into the scene. What we'd rather do is just God pick people up and throw them in our church building. But it just doesn't work that way. And again, you might have a nice church building, good worship. You might be a very good preacher, but unlocking the church door doesn't mean one person's going to come through outside of what, what your church crew is right now. Does that make sense? And so there's got to be, I tell, the most important days of a church's life is in between the Sundays. What are we doing in between the Sundays to touch people's lives? I really do uh, I, I believe that. One of the ways that we love to do is we like to also help rural churches, because I mentioned the, the term resourcing. So we, as U.S. missionaries, raise funding. And one of the things that we encourage rural churches to consider anyway, and that is to make uh, a contact with maybe the police chief, the firefighter, or fire chief, EMS, the man, uh, emergency management coordinator, but to make some contact there. And we say, consider doing this. Do a hero day. I'm going to use firefighters for the example because i got a firefighter Bible here. But we have police Bibles and EMS Bibles. They're geared for firefighters. They're geared for police. They're geared for EMS. And churches will do a hero day where they invite the firefighters and their families together to a meal in their honor. The pastor usually will share a a sermon or a sermonette short of thanking the heroes, uh, thanking them for their service in the community, maybe even do a Jesus was a servant, you're a servant too. And at the end of that time together, every one of the heroes will get one of these Bibles. And I think you, you maybe can see, that's pretty clear here, that we, in, in, we really pretty much demand you inscribe the name of the hero and their badge number on the Bible. And it has just been, I can tell you story after story after story, of churches that have invested in one of these three heroes or all three of them and have done this, and it's just been a, a, a very positive uh, deal. Um, not that long ago, I'll use the example of a church in Grosbeck, Texas. Um, three years ago, they were running nine in church. And literally, when the pastor came there to share the first time, he could see through the wall, he could see the tree limb. And I mean, the building was a mess. The church's reputation was horrible. They were running 10. In fact, the district thought the church was closed. I mean, it had every strike against it it could. Play this now, three, three years later, they're running over 100 in attendance. And they had every reason to be dead in the water. But the church, even with 10, started throwing out the net, in particular to the firefighters. And uh, they did a hero day. But here's what we talk about in the training. Don't have much time to talk about this, but here it is. We AG people 
are world-renowned for this in America. I call it the one and done. We do an event or we do an outreach, and that's it. We don't follow up on it very well. We don't follow up after the fact with some other touches. And what we stress in the, in the training, let's say you're going to do a firefighter, a hero day, but you're going to go into that hero day then with four other touches beyond the hero day. So you're following up with relationship. Another, you might do coffee and donuts sometime. You might ask when to clean the vehicles. You're going to have a few people show up to do that. You're going to find out maybe there's a tool or some item they could use. You're going to follow up with that. You follow me on this? Find out birthdays and anniversaries. It's, it, whatever that is, you guys put that together. But that's what we see often when churches really build touch upon touch. That's building the relationship. And that's what they did. It just so happened that there's six months of their five or six touches, basically about six months from when they first started Easter Sunday was six months from there. So that was their goal. At, at Easter Sunday, they were going to make a special invitation to the firefighters to come to church. They made the invitation, again, throughout the net towards these firefighters. And uh, they, again, they more than tripled the size of their church. Of course, it wasn't very big, but they more than tripled the size of their church on that Easter Sunday. And now if you go to Grosbeck, Texas, if you go to the church service, they run, like I said, over 100. But uh, uh, about a third, uh, they've got seven families that are firefighter families that are coming. And the fire chief is coming. Um, and it, it, this, the cool thing is if you go to church, and we've spoken at the church a couple of times, they, now they have fire trucks in the church parking lot. And the pastor told me a couple of weeks ago, an alarm went off and he lost a third of his church <laughs> because they had to go. And I, I thought, you know, I'd rather lose a third of my church because we had firefighters in them than we fought and we split. Hello? So, I mean, if I'm going to lose people, that's the way to lose them, right? Uh, out serving their community. So that might be an area that we could help you in. Um, it's an application process. And um, we get the Bibles and basically drop ship them to you. And I can tell you more about that. You got my email, so you can, you can ask questions about that at, uh, just through emails. The other thing is we want to talk about is just becoming the best friend of your school system. That uh, how can we as a, as, a, as a church be a blessing to the school? Bottom line here, if you are a rural, in a rural community and you're still fortunate to have a school, because some rural communities don't even have schools in them anymore. But if you have a school in your community as a rural church, then the bottom line is the school typically is the hub of the community, and it only makes sense. Then we got to ask ourselves, what are we doing to bless the hub of the community? What, what are we doing to say, we as a church want to be a blessing to you, the school. What can we do to help? And Typically, that first step, if you aren't already involved in the school, would be to send somebody to the school, preferably probably the pastor, and him have a meeting with the principal and just say, hey, we as a church want to be, help the school. Is there some area of need that we can help with? And that's what we talk about the stakeholders, too, building that relationship. You went to the mayor and said the same thing, whether he's a church guy or not. You know, we as a church, we want to help the community. What do you think the church should be doing in the community? Especially if he's a non-Christian, that'd be probably a good way to say it. I always tell people this when you're talking to the mayor who's not a Christian, after he gets off the floor because he fainted. Because what we find out is in a lot of cases, these mayors and guys in the city that are stakeholders in particular, churches have never really ever asked them. 
So it just really builds a great bridge. So we're saying to the principal, what can we do to be a blessing to the school? I, I think it's a legitimate question. And in a lot of cases, if certainly if you haven't made a lot of inroads, inroads into the school, a lot of the churches are doing something as simple as uh, really focusing on maybe the teachers and the teacher's lounge in particular. I told this story in my first workshop, and this just happened this week. A pastor went to a training, went to the local school, really hadn't even been in the school before, and he'd been in the community for quite a while. But the, he saw the need that the church needed to bless the school. He went, goes into the teacher's lounge because the principal's given him basically a guided tour, and it was like a bomb had hit. It was a pit. And on the spot, he just felt like God tell, was telling the principal, he said, you know what, we'd like to adopt the teacher's lounge. I mean, we'll come in here, maybe we could do some painting. Your teachers can tell us what they want. We'll provide food, we'll provide this. And that was, I mean, it was like the, op the door opened right on the spot. All because the church, what they do? They threw out the net, let's just see what happens. But one church in particular, a lot of them will do this. They'll provide cookies or some kind of snack. To the teachers, they'll bring it to the teachers. I always tell people, if you're going to bring a snack or any kind of item to the teacher's lounge, make sure it's good. No burn offerings. You follow me on this one? I mean, do something good. If you're going to do anything with the teachers, you want to do it classy, so to speak. Well, this church, it was in Nebraska, New Heights uh, Church. They brought uh, fresh cinnamon rolls to the teacher's lounge. And the pastor even told me this. He said, you know, when I brought the cinnamon, it really was a God thing. He said, I just was going to bring the cinnamon rolls and put it in the teacher's lounge and leave. He had a little card, New Heights Assembly, loves the teachers, loves the aides, loves the kids, we're praying for you. But he said it happened to be at a break, and he didn't even know it. There were several teachers in that lounge, and he said, I'm exaggerating a little bit, Kent, but he said, when I put those fresh cinnamon rolls down, it was like, those, it was like a riot broke out. And it, I mean, they were almost elbowing each other out of the way to get to those cinnamon rolls. And I told Tom this. I said, Tom, one of these days, one of those teachers, one of those aides, they're going to have a problem, and they're going to think to themselves, I wonder if that cinnamon roll church can help me. Because people remember acts of kindness. Most of us came to Jesus because somebody loved us into the kingdom and served us into the kingdom, not because somebody hit us over the head with a Holy Ghost billy club. Huh? And, and we've got to get to that point where we're willing to just love people into the kingdom. So very important. Another thing that we have helped uh, churches with, where did I put it, right up here, is that last year we, we raised funds for 10,000 backpacks to uh, get into the hands of rural churches. And it just helps, again, a jumpstart maybe a rural church to do a back-to-school event. Some of them get a hold of the principal and just find out what kids in the, in the school need uh, backpacks. Others fill up the backpacks, take it to the school, and each classroom gets so many. I mean, how you do it, it really doesn't matter to us. The bottom line is it's just another resource that possibly we can help you with. If you go to ruralcompassion.org, there's a link on the, our website that deals with that, and there's an application for the backpacks. So that might be something that possibly we could, uh, we could help you with when it comes to that. Here's a, a storyline, and I, I told it in the other one, and I tell it at, I'll tell it again at the training if you come back, but you'll still laugh when you hear it then. And it, One church in Iowa, they went to the training, and the pastor goes to the principal and basically says, hey, I got access to school bags. Would that be something that could really bless the kids in the school? We, we could provide some for you. And, uh, and if you go to a principal and you have, let's say you get school bags from us, 
You don't say, don't say, Convoy of Hope, Rural Compassion, is, it gave me some school bags. No, you say you've got the school bags to give because there's no reason to say even our name in it. We want you to be the heroes. That makes sense? And so anyway, he said, we got access to school bags. He said, well, that could help our kids. But he said, what could really help the kids in our school system is underwear. He said, we got dozens of kids coming to school without underwear on. And, and he said, it wasn't a style statement. It was because the, the parents didn't have the funding to put underwear on their kids. I'm telling you, if parents don't have money for underwear, then they're hurting for certain, right? And so this church decided, we're going to do underwear. We're going to collect underwear for the kids and get it to the school. And I don't know how they've got a dresser drawer here, and they're putting, you know, they collect, this happened to be October, three Sundays in October, but they do it throughout the year now. And I don't know how well you can see this, but they call it Undie Sunday, and it's this one. I I just think it's funny anyway. It's cutting edge. It says, please drop your drawers here in Jesus' name. So they made it spiritual, okay? Isn't that a funny? I mean, I just think it's funny. And uh, now this is how so often it happens. Once you throw out the net, the door opens, and now they're doing the underwear. Then they found out that T-shirts were needed. They started collecting them. Then they found out socks were needed. They started collecting them. And I kidded with the pastor after a couple of months of hearing these stories, one after another, of just some cool things that were happening, because the church, listen to this, the church was actually meeting a felt need they actually knew what the need was, and they actually addressed it. It wasn't in their head. I think this is what the need is. They knew it because they got the information direct from the stakeholder. You follow me on this? That's why we really do need to know what the legitimate needs in our community are. And I think sometimes we just think we know. And we, when we address a legitimate need, a felt need, man, it makes, it makes a difference. Anyway, I told the pastor, I said, you know what your church is going to be known for in town? First church of the fruit of the loom. Huh? But I tell you what, I, I'd rather be known as the first church of the fruit of the loom than the church that split 10 years ago. I pastored in, a, in Kansas. I can say it that way. You can try to guess what it is then, town. And before I got there, 25 years before the church split, so 25 years later, I become the pastor there, and that's what the board wants to talk about, and that's actually what people in the town wanted to talk about. I'd rather be known as the Undie Church. Huh? Then the church is split 25 years ago. So what are you known for in your town? I mean, we need to be known for something. And we need to be known for something positive, too. Does that make sense? Okay, so um, in, in another area that we've been helping uh, as far, and you'll learn a lot more about this um, at a training, um, and that is we, about six, seven years ago, we started collecting shoes for kids. And if we get four or 5,000 pair of shoes, I mean, we were, you know, doing the Tarzan thing, doing that. I mean, we were pretty pleased about getting four or 5,000 shoes to rural uh, churches to get to school kids. But three years ago, Convoy uh, got a partnership with Tom Shoes, and this is kind of what they look like. You, yeah, you can't really tell them, but they're just a casual Tom shoe, okay? Kids know what they are if you don't. Um, yeah, but the, the bottom line is three years ago, we were able to get into rural churches, rural communities, hands 30,000 pair of shoes. So we went from six to 30,000. Two years ago, 60,000. This past year, 100,000 shoes. And it's just a cool deal. If you, if you are eligible, and we'll talk about that in the training, if you're eligible, uh, you can get up to 500 pair of shoes. These go for about 50 bucks a pop. You do the math on that. Tom's gives it to us to give to you. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And Tom's has even been paying for the shipping. So, um, again, so some of these rural churches are putting shoes on every kid in the school. 
I mean, again, it's just an amazing open door. And I could tell you some really cool stories um, on that. And where are we at time-wise? Um, let's keep going here. I can always back up if I want to. Community involvement. Here's the idea here. When we talk about that, we talk about this idea. There are, there are already in your community, there are organizations or whatever, they organize the event, they plan the event, and they pay for the event in your community. I guarantee all of you have that. It's a matter of whether we can find a niche in that event. So it's not a deal where we have to come up with $10,000 for the event. It's just us finding the niche in the event. And I really believe this. Every church should have a couple of niches just in community events. You know, the school, obviously, the stakeholder, but we ought to be involved in just the, the flow of the, of the community. Um, how, how can the church connect in the community? Uh, I, I think it's a legitimate question, and we got to ask ourselves, how are we connecting in our community? What are we doing? What are the plans? What's the strategy of connecting uh, in our community? I've used this um, illustration because, again, it's a, it's a good illustration, and that's oh, about two years ago, I guess it was, uh, the pastor, and Pastor Rick Smith, uh, came to a training, they built a, a, an outreach team, and, and I mean, they just hit the ground running, throwing out the net. But here was their thought, and any ideas that we give, I always tell people this. I think most of the ideas we have are pretty good ideas, but it doesn't mean that you need to even use one of them, because I, I believe the best thing is for God to give you ideas. Because I, I think once we pray about things and invest, there's, there's going to be some ideas that are going to come that is going to be, you know, kind of got God's thumbprint just for your community. And I really believe that. But here's what they decided to do. They decided, first of all, just to do some monthly awards. And they first of all decided they wanted to bless the teacher. So they did a teacher of the month award. Every month they did a teacher of the month. I can't, you know, it's just like a little gift basket. And I, it may have had some kind of supplies for the classroom for the teacher and cookies and different things along that line. And then they decided, well, if we're going to do Teacher of the Month, well, let's add this to it. And that's what oftentimes happens when you start, you know, blessing people. It, it starts to have uh, spokes from the first one. So they decided, let's do a Business of the Month award. So they'd pick a business in a local town and then they'd come to the business. This happened to be the one they went to there. And uh, again, they'd give them some kind of a gift basket. And Judy reminded me of this, the last workshop that we did. But they encouraged their church then to go to that business and, and buy something there throughout that month. So they'd identify themselves you know, I'm with Salem Assembly of God, and it usually then, oh, yeah, you're the ones who, you know, again, it put that connection. And then, then thirdly, they added an organization um, of the month. And then, you know, everybody, there's all kinds of nonprofits and different things that you can find organizationally. I'm not telling you to do this, but I'm, I'm just saying it's just, it was amazing as they started throwing out the net in their community and, and loving their community, what that brought to the table for them to just, again, you know, throw out the net and let's see what happens. And so they call it the We Love Salem initiative. And I mean, the bottom line is you, you can call whatever you do, whatever you want. And uh, I, I think that, again, it's something that we need to just kind of look at. And I always tell churches this, there's not a church alive that doesn't need to do some kind of an evaluation. Meaning you, got, you need to look at what you're doing, how you're doing it, is it effective? And if it isn't, then you need to maybe talk about that too. And I don't know of a church alive 
that doesn't need to be tweaked. There's, every church needs to be tweaked somewhere. And we always say it this way, and you've heard it before. The gospel message never changes, but our methods need to change at times. I mean, that's, that's kind of just the bottom line, that, that we've got to think about it that way. You know, methodology-wise, where are we at? In fact, one of the books we give out at the training is called The Church of Irresistible Influence. And there's a pastor, there's a quote in there, and the pastor, it wasn't a, a joke or he wasn't saying it in jest. And he made this comment to the author of the book. If the 50 style of ministry comes back, our church is ready. And I think, again, we've got to think about, you know, how we do things, why we do things. And we never come into a situation and say you just ditch everything and you change everything overnight. In rural churches, that means that probably you're going to have a U-Haul truck at your house if you try to do it overnight. You, You follow me on this? But there are things and there are ways of making those changes and changing methodology and walking with your congregation through that that's very, very important. And I think in rural settings, I pastored mainly in a rural uh, settings. One in particular is Milford, Nebraska, which is about 30, 40 miles west of Lincoln, Nebraska. And it was a town of about 2,500 people. And I did some of these things. <laughs> I know God helped me, but some of it was by accident. I wished I know now. No, I wish I knew then what I know now. I probably would have did a few things different. But when I came into that community, it was a Mennonite community, meaning if you lived in that community for any length of time at all, you had Mennonite blood in you. And I don't know how many of you understand Mennonite or not, but the very conservative Mennonite, the ladies had the buns. We, the joke was they were under bondage. But anyway, that's a bad joke. But that's what, that was what we, I heard coming into town. Um, and, and that Mennonite church... It was, it was very, very conservative, but in our town of 2,000 people, there were five Mennonite churches. Started with the very, very conservative, and then you went to the fifth church, so to speak, and for Mennonites, it was, it was uh, ultra-contemporary, even though we wouldn't think it was contemporary, but they did. Does that make sense? So you had all these churches, and I still remember after being there a couple of weeks, I come into, into downtown, and, and it was an older gentleman stopped me, and he goes, you're the new assembly God preacher in town? And I go, yeah, I am. And he goes, what's your name? And, he, and then he said to me, he said, I'm Mennonite. And I go, oh, yeah, I know there's plenty of Mennonites here in town. It's a Mennonite town. He said, yeah. He said, you know, us Mennonites, he said, uh, we're pacifists. And I go, yeah, I understand that part of your theology, that that's pretty important to you. And this is what he told me. He goes, yeah, we don't fight overseas. We just fight each other. Hence, five churches in a town of 2,000. But I I needed to know that Mennonite mentality. I needed to know what made Mennonites tick because when our church went from 70 to about 200 in a town of, again, about 2,000, most everybody that came into the church and either got saved or recommitted their life to the Lord had Mennonite blood in them. So I needed to know what the, how that town clicked. And I'll tell you the other thing that really made a difference for me, and it, some of it depends on the size of your community, but for that community, I went down to the local coffee shop. Mennonites ran it, so I couldn't. I, there's no way I could lose because what they cooked there was too good to be true. And I slugged down coffee. And I met people in the community outside of my church. And it, the first time that I went there, 
um, I noticed there was a table. It was kind of about, yay, there's probably about 10 guys around the table. First time I went in there to get some good Mennonite pastries and coffee, I noticed that, and I, I just could tell right away, those guys, if they aren't stakeholders in the town, they think they are. One of those deals. And so I went for a couple of weeks. I'd always say hi to them. They'd say hi back to me, and I'd usually go sit by myself. And I was sitting there one time after a couple of months of doing this. And God, I mean, it was, I don't get, I don't feel like God tells me, I wish he'd tell me more. But there was one of these times where it was like, go and sit at their table. And I still remember the first thing I said to God was, you got to be kidding. It's like, they don't even know me. They do say hi to me. They don't even know me. And so I didn't do it that time. And the next time, I mean, it, it was almost like God was yelling at me. And so I, the one, I was like, there was a chair open. It was like three weeks after being told this about every time I went in there. And I still remember pulling my chair up and sitting down, means we got 15 minutes, and sitting down at that table. And what I did was I, I could have I got an Oscar because I was scared spitless, but I acted like I belonged there. I did my best job of acting like I belonged there. Because I, when I sat down, the, the, those people, the, the guys, they just looked at me like, what are you doing? They had that look on their face. I just kind of acted like everything was okay. But as I built relationships, every, every day that I could, I'd go in there and I'd sit at that table. And it got to the point when I didn't go there in the morning and one of those guys would see me downtown. They'd yell across the street, hey, pastor. i go, hey, what, what? What, Bill? He goes, you missed coffee and donuts with us. Where were you? And I'll tell you what, I learned more from those guys than, than in some cases that I did from my church because they talked about the community in a way that I really... And yeah, I'd like to tell you, you know, the storyline was throughout the net towards those guys and one after all 10 of them were and five of them became board members in my church. Some of them came and attended the church in different times and this, that, and the other. But none of them really ever got connected with the church. I had opportunities to pray with some. I mean, it was just a cool opportunity. But the bottom line is, even at we as pastors, I, and I say this in a training, pastor, those of you who are pastors, do not allow your office to become your prison. I mean, pray study, you need to do all those things, but you, are, you need to set aside time where you're mingling with people outside the four walls, again, whether your office is in your house or at your church. Because rural pastor, we, I'll just be honest with you, the city pastor can get away with not rubbing shoulders with people. But a rural pastor, if you hunker down and you don't ever go to a football game or you don't ever go to a community event or a play at the school. I mean, if you never do any of those things, I guarantee you, small town people are going to peg you as a person that just really doesn't care about the town. Oh, that's a pastor. That's that church there. They just do their own thing, you know. So that's part of this whole idea of it really does start at the top and trickle down. We've got to be the cutting edge on really touching, throwing out the net, but we have to have a team built around us to do it to be effective. I really do believe that with all of my heart. Um, here's one church just did this, not telling you to do this, but I, I love the t-shirts. They put together an outreach team, and anytime they go out, they, they wear these t-shirts, and it's the church that's left the building. Don't you like that one? That's really what, what, what our church needs to be. It needs to be a church that's willing to leave the building and still be the church. And the church that leaves the building and is throwing out the net, the opportunities there, I believe, are, are many but we've got to learn and put a plan together to throw out the net. We've got about 10 minutes left, and I'd 
I, I, anybody have any questions or thoughts or, or maybe some of you are already doing something in your community to the point where maybe you just like to share or something. Maybe you discovered a need. Maybe it's a relationship with a stakeholder. Maybe it's a school involvement or community involvement. Yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. Wow. She started watching the kids, and you know, they would come up to me, and all of a sudden, and I knew it was the Holy Spirit, but they'd start confessing all these things, and I'm like, you know, what do I do with all this, you know, other than pray? Mm. And, there was, and it's been a progression where the community, in my story, the people that thought if I didn't really give my heart to Jesus, that all hope was lost, are the people that are kind of... <coughs> And so now, um, what we're doing is just reaching out with a backpack program to the to the smaller groups because they don't have an opportunity to cook meals for themselves or host a meal. So the backpack program is really what's And that is, they take it home over the weekend, or it's every night, yeah. or weekend. A lot of churches are doing that. I say a lot, but there are several that are doing that right now, and uh, it, and it's a great open door. And there, you know, obviously, for you to get to where you were on that, I don't know who you coordinated with to get the food and all that. Okay. Okay. All right. So that's how you work that one. Then. Okay. Great. Man, that's a great storyline there. Thanks for sharing that. Somebody else have a storyline of just anything that's that's kind of going on or in the community that you'd like to, to share? Um, John? At the fall thing last year, you know, I gave out those pallets of merchandise for uh -huh. the uh, churches last year. And, uh, you know, one of the things that was on those pallets were those uh, hostess snowballs. Right? Oh, okay. It's funny. Right. Yeah. I remember you telling me that. that isn't that something? And, and, go on. Oh, you are. <laughs> yeah, that's why I do, if any of you took more than two of the cowtails, you don't want to eat them both at the same time because those, those babies are lethal. But anyway, uh, but it, it, it is amazing that we've found this to be the case, that 
you get something in your hand and you give it away. It doesn't have to be a big deal. We, so I, I tell you again, our mentality in America, if you don't do something, you know, $50,000 type event, then it's not worth doing. And the fact of the matter is most of us will never be able to do a $50,000 event, even if we wanted to. But in rural settings, it's the building of relationships really is the real key. There, and it's building on to those things. And you're thinking more long-term. And I'm not against events. If you can do some events, do the events. But if you don't do any follow-up, I'd kind of think that through again. Because the purpose of an event is certainly to get people to see who you are. But there's got to be a way of at least doing some kind of follow-up. In fact, Judy and I were, t were talking about this, and I hadn't used this story in a long time, and I said I need to use it today, so I'll, I guess we can wrap it up with this unless somebody else has anything else they want to say. But one church decided they want to do work projects in their community. That, they got the out outreach teams together, and it was the fall of the year, and basically what they did was they, they pinpointed some seniors in the community that needed breaking down, just real basic things. So it, didn't, it wasn't like you had to buy a tractor and all that. It was just we you know, brought the tools that you had from your house. And that next Sunday, um, a couple came to the church. The pastor didn't recognize them, or he said, he said, I just wasn't for sure who they were. So he walked up to them, and he said, they did like 10, 15 homes, and he didn't even know who all the home of the people were. So he just figured it probably was one of these people that, you know, the church blessed. That was his guess anyway. So he came up to him, you know, I'm pastor such and such, and you are, and they said who they were, and they said, and he said to him, he said, so are, were you part of maybe the people that we came and worked with uh, on Saturday? And they said, no, we're not that. But he said, they said, but you went and helped our neighbor? And he said the name, and he said, oh yeah, I do know who they are. He said, yeah, he said, that week, our, we were talking back and forth about the fact that we really need to get back into church but we didn't know where to go. And he said, then your church van shows up and your people are helping our neighbor who's elderly. And we thought to ourselves, well, that's the church I want to go to. The church is actually doing something. Yeah. And, and I, I think there's something to this. That there, people, here it is. Save people, serve. That's a given. Serve people often get saved. And the bottom line is, why? Because it's the Jesus way. And my friends, it works. It really does. Anybody else have anything else to close out with? Yep. One of the things that, that we do is we do a dollar car wash. Oh, cool. Um, we let them come through and pay them a dollar. Oh, I like that. And so most people are expecting to pay, so we pay them a dollar. And then that opens up the Oh, I love that. Oh, what are you doing that for? Yeah, write that one down. Yeah, can I use that one in the yeah. trainings? Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll act like I came up with it, okay? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is, I've never heard that one before. I'll give you a dollar for, oh, I love that one, yeah? My brother had a house fire this year in Moscow. Okay. And the pastor of the local church in that community came by that morning, they brought him in and everything, with shoes. Oh, okay. They still talk. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that's amazing. That's this act of kindness deal. It really is a big deal because I, I could just, I could bet you money, and I'm not a better, but I could bet you money all of us could think of a time when we were 
maybe in our teen years, when some, I, I can think of a time when a lady came and blessed me, and I wasn't expecting it. I can tell you still the date, the time, what the lady wore, who she was. I still remember. I don't even remember my name half the time, but I remember hers. There's something about that, and I know why. It's a Jesus deal. It really is. Lord, thanks so much for this opportunity to share together. And Lord, we're, we, we want, personally, we want to be net flingers. As a corporately, as a church, we want to have a net flinging church. God, we're just believing that 2016 is going to be the year of, of touches, of, of net throwing, of casting the line and catching fish. Lord, we, we, we just want to do everything that we can to bless our community, to be like you, serve our way in the community, open up the door to share our way in. Lord, use us like never before. We're believing for great things, oh God. We're praying for godly connections. We're praying for favor. We're praying for open doors. And we'll just be quick to give you all the praise and thanks. In Jesus' name we do pray. We say, amen. amen. You've got my card there, so if you have any questions or thoughts or anything in between, uh, I text a lot, email a lot. Just don't call me 3 in the morning because um, I'll be sleeping. But Judy will be doing a prayer walk around her neighborhood at 3. No, no, she doesn't do that. So anyway, thanks for your time. Thanks for coming out.